Hey there, thanks so much for checking out one of our messages here at Life Bible Fellowship Church. And we know there are two great ways you can connect with us. You can visit our website at lbf.church to learn more about all of our ministries and what we believe. And also, you can subscribe to us on YouTube to make sure that you don't miss one of our future videos. This morning I'm reading from Psalm 73. When I was asked to read today and I realized it was Psalm 73, I thought, Lord, you have truly blessed me. This is one of my most favorite psalms and I get the privilege of reading it to you this morning. Psalm 73, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, they have no struggles, their bodies are healthy and strong, they are free from common human burdens, they are not plagued by human ills, therefore pride is their necklace, they clothe themselves with violence, from their calloused hearts comes iniquity, their evil imaginations have no limits, they scoff and speak with malice, with arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up the waters of in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I, I would have betrayed your children. But I have tried to understand all this. It troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I am always with you. You hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength in, of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful in you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign God my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Excuse me, everybody. Derek, Jake, everyone. I got an announcement to make, and I got my friends here to help me out. <laughs> Guys, hit it. Shoot I am quitting this job today. Hey, 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 hey. I'm leaving. Even though I'm here, we're gonna make 
Let's talk this morning about quitting. Um, was that fun? It was fun. It was hilarious. It's funny because that video actually is part of a trend that you can see if you're online. Um, not only of videos, but of people collecting stories called quitting stories. Um, some of them are really funny like that one. Some of them are very angry. Some of them are utterly inappropriate to share in a setting like this. But there's people who are collecting these quitting stories and sort of reveling in what it's like to quit their jobs. And here's the thing. Here's the dirty little secret about quitting. Because most of us have grown up being told you shouldn't quit. But here's the dirty secret about quitting. It feels great. Um, at least right away. You know that that felt great. And for most of these stories online, whether the people were angry or whether they were fed up or whether they were kind of funny stories, the thing that they all have in common is they felt great when they quit. And not only does quitting feel great, but we are in a culture where we do a lot of quitting and we do it fast. We get out of things quickly. So we quit our jobs. But not only do we quit our jobs, if we engage on a sports team and suddenly things aren't going so well, we're out of there. If we get into a class and it's harder than we thought it would be, we're out of there. We quit on all those things. We quit on our schools, we quit on our jobs, we quit sometimes on our diets and our workout plans. We quit on our Bible reading plans whenever we get to Leviticus and it just gets too difficult. <laughs> We quit on our churches if suddenly we, f we discover that our church isn't really doing for us what we thought it was gonna do. We quit on our friendships all too often. We quit on our marriages when our marriages aren't doing for us what we expected them to do. We are a culture, at the end of the day, we are a culture of quitting and we do it fast. And part of why we do it fast is because of the dirty little secret about quitting, it feels good. It feels relieving, and, and that's part of the thing. When you're at quitting point, when you're at the point where you're trying to decide if you're gonna quit, there's a little voice in your head, the enemy's voice, telling you, you will feel so much better once you do this. And the greatest victory that the enemy would have is not just by getting us to quit a job or even to quit a friendship or a marriage, but to get us to quit on our faith in God. I don't know where everybody's at today, um, but we've worked these kind of special Sundays into our calendar as a church where every so often when we're between two series, we just have an open Sunday. And this is one of those open Sundays where we get to walk through what's my favorite Psalm in the Old Testament because it talks about a man who was at the point where he was ready to quit. Um, and, and here's the thing, it wasn't just any man ready to quit. 
He was at the point of being ready to quit and he was a worship leader in Israel. If you have your Bible open to Psalm 73, which Linda beautifully read for us earlier, you see that it's written by a man named Asaph. Um, And you think of Psalms, normally you think of David because he wrote a lot of the Psalms, but Asaph wrote 12 of the Psalms. He wrote Psalm 50 and then Psalms 73 through 83. And he's mentioned in 1 Chronicles chapter six as somebody who was appointed by David as a worship leader in the land of Israel. So here is a worship leader. You think you've got problems. Here's a worship leader who's at his quitting point and he's ready to quit on God. In fact, we we get just in the first three verses, which I'm gonna look at before we really get into things, he tells us what was going on at this crisis point in his life. Um, In verse one, which we'll pull up on the screen, in verse one, he says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Um, And here's the thing you need to know about verse one. Verse one is Asaph telling us the end before we go through the journey. And I think he's doing this because there are gonna be some points in the psalm where he's gonna talk about his struggles and he's gonna talk about his battles and he's gonna talk about how much he wanted to quit. And some of us are gonna read that and we're gonna think he's making a good point. I think I'm with Asaph. I think it's quitting time. But he wants to tell us right from the beginning, all right, I'm gonna tell you before we go down, before we go down into the valley, I'm gonna tell you, I came out on the other side of the valley believing that God is good to those who are pure in heart, to those who choose to follow him. But in verses two and three, he tells us about the valley. Verses two and three, he says, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Um, Just real quick, you guys might be working on it up there, but things, slides aren't advancing, so hopefully you have an open Bible, you'll be able to follow along. But he says in verses two and three, my feet almost slipped. He says, I was almost done. I almost walked away from God. As a worship leader, I almost cashed in my chips and just said, I'm done with this. I'm done following God. It's not worth it. I can't keep doing it. And he tells us why he almost quit. He says, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. In essence, Asaph says, it seems like I'm a chump. It seems like following God doesn't work out as well as doing things your own way. And when he's talking about the wicked, we hear that word and we're like, somebody would have to be pretty bad before we would call them wicked. He is simply referring to people who choose not to place God at the center of their lives, who choose to run their own lives and do things their own way. And he says, it seems like it's working out better for them. It seems like they're coming out ahead and I'm coming out behind. He tells us my feet almost slipped. Now here's how the rest of this psalm is gonna unfold. Um, Asaph is gonna spend some time telling us where he was, telling us what was going through his mind when he was at his quitting point, when he was ready to say, I don't think following God is worth it. Then we're gonna get to see his turning point where he came to a crisis decision point, and then after that, we're gonna get to see how things unfolded and where Asaph landed. So let's start by looking at where he was. And this is what happens in verses four through 14. And and here's the deal, for the sake of time and because we already heard the passage read, I'm not gonna read through all of the verses in here, but in verses four through 11, we get eight verses of Asaph talking, describing the lives of the wicked. And I'll sum it all up for you and then talk a little bit about it. His summary statement is this, the wicked are winning. 
their way seems to be working. He talks about the fact, he says, it doesn't seem like their lives are that hard. In fact, sometimes it doesn't even seem like they're dealing with the normal difficulties that the rest of us are dealing with. Anybody ever spent any time on Instagram? If you follow celebrities on Instagram, you're like, wow, must be nice. Must be nice to be living large and not be dealing with the normal frustrations that we all deal with. Sometimes you might be on social media and you might say, must be nice to have kids who always obey you, apparently, and pose well for pictures. Must be nice to always be healthy. Must be nice to always be getting good grades. Must be nice to always be hitting your benchmarks at the gym. Must be nice. He says, they're not even dealing with the normal things that we're dealing with. And he talks about their arrogance and in some ways saying, why shouldn't they be arrogant? Their way seems to be working. Why wouldn't they come to a point of saying, hey, God doesn't seem to care what's going on because they keep getting further ahead no matter what they do. In fact, one of the things that's said in this section in, in verse, uh, verse 10, he talks about the idea that their people come to them. And in other words, he's saying, everybody's looking to them. They are the influencers of their day. People keep coming to the wicked and asking their secret for life. You ever seen a, a social media influencer or somebody online who's an influential person in our society and you look at the way that they're living and you just say, them? Really? They're the one that we're looking to? Asaph's saying, they're the one that we're looking to, and yet, what, what can I say? It seems like it's working for them. He gives a summary statement in verse 12. He says, this is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go about amassing wealth. It seems to be working for them, whatever they do. And so what, what's Asaph to conclude? Well, he says this in verses 13 and 14. He says, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. Um, this is one of those things where it's always good to read the Bible in context. This probably isn't a good verse to stitch on a pillow. Um, but Asaph is being real. He's just getting down to it and he's saying, I, I think I'm a chump. I, I think I've been foolish. I, I think all of this is pointless. I have worked so hard to say no to sin and to say yes to God. I've worked so hard to keep my hands clean and it seems like it doesn't even matter. I've struggled and I've battled and I've tried and I said no to stuff that I wanted to say yes to. I have worked so hard to do the right thing and it seems like it hasn't worked out. Um, by the way, so some of you will know the name Rosaria Butterfield. Um, she's a Christian author, has written some great Christian books and she became a believer um, after living decades in a lesbian lifestyle. And I heard an interview with her one time and, uh, and she was talking about the idea that sometimes people will ask her, well, what, what was it like before you were a Christian? And what was it like when, when you were struggling with same-sex attraction? And she sort of laughed at this question. She said, I was not struggling. So there was no struggle at all. I was fully indulging every desire that I had. There was no struggle before I was a Christian. In fact, she says the struggle only started when I became a Christian. And I started trying to fight against these temptations towards sin in my life. life. Asaph's saying, I, I, I've been foolish. I have done all this and it's been pointless. Now he says in verse 14, all day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. And he's, he doesn't spell everything out, but it seems like he's saying, not only am I frustrated because I've worked hard to be innocent, he's saying I'm also frustrated because walking with God has cost me in the eyes of other people. 
And it seems like he's saying, I've dealt with some opposition from other people because I've been diligently following God. And again, I, I don't know all of what it was, but, but maybe it was something like this. Maybe Asaph frequently found himself in the situation when he was around the other guys that he would have to tell them, you know what, I'm gonna go home because there's too much drinking going on here. Or guys, I'm not comfortable in going to the strip club. Or I'm not comfortable in the way that you're talking about your wife. Or actually, you need to talk to your wife. You need to tell her about what's going on. And eventually, Asaph just stopped getting invited to the gatherings. Guys said, we don't want you around. You make us feel bad about ourselves. You are holier than thou. You think you're so much better than us. Asaph says, not only have I exhausted myself trying to fight against sin, I have people against me because I'm looking to do this. He's saying, I'm done. Now, let me just pause. I don't know every story out here right now, but um, anybody out here feel kind of like, I'm done. Some of you might be at quitting time right now. Um, You might even be thinking about the big quit. You might be thinking, you know what, this might be my last Sunday here. I just kind of think I'm done with God. I've tried it. I've tried, this is what we do when we quit. We say, I've tried, I've tried it God's way and it doesn't seem to be working and people just seem to be living large, enjoying life who are doing things their own way. And so some of you may have showed up, and by the way, thank you for showing up on a Sunday where you might feel like I'm, I'm close to being done. Others of you, you might feel like, well, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not thinking of the big quit. I'm, I'm not thinking of abandoning my faith, but there's other ways where you're thinking about quitting. Some of you are thinking about quitting. You, you might say, you know what, I'm done saying no to all the gatherings when my friends are partying. I'm missing out on stuff. Everybody else is enjoying it. Why am I the only one left out? I'm done saying no to the party scene. Some of you might just in general feel like I am done saying no to this area of sin in my life whether it's lust or it's anger or it's envy or it's greed in some way, you're just like, you know what? Other people seem to be fine. They're not struggling. They're enjoying life. I'm in the battle here and I'm just done. I'm just gonna say, you know what? Maybe it's just good enough for me just to indulge myself in this. Some of you might feel like I'm done holding my tongue when everybody else seems free to say whatever they want. I mean, just check social media. People feel free to say whatever they want And you might feel like, I I am the only one exercising self-control here. I'm the only one saying no to all of these things that I wanna say. And by the way, the things I wanna say are actually true. Unlike everybody else, I'm ready to say them. I'm done holding my tongue. And once again, some of you might feel like, you know what, I'm done in my marriage. I've tried and it's painful. And we don't have grounds for divorce, biblically, but you know what, I'm just done. And I see other people moving on, and man, they feel relieved when they go ahead and get the divorce. I see other people moving on, and they seem pretty relieved in their new marriage or in their new relationship. So you know what, I, I think that I'm done. Maybe some of you are just saying, I'm done taking unpopular biblical stands when all it gets me is scorn and lost friends. Some of us are coming in this morning and you're just feeling like you're done. And you're like, yeah, I'm with Asaph right now. I think he's making some pretty good points in this opening section. There are times where we reach the point that we become convinced that following God just isn't worth it. And so Asaph is at a crisis point. He's at what we might call the turning point right now. And it seems like Asaph sees two possible directions. Um, Direction number one is he quits. 
He just says, I'm done with this. Certainly not gonna be a worship leader anymore. I'm not even gonna be a worshiper. I'm done and I'm walking away. Or the other option is God somehow convinces him that following God is worth it. But what Asaph doesn't see as an option is for him to continue to be faithful to God when he's convinced God's way doesn't work. He's like, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm either quitting or God's gotta do some convincing. And in verses 15 through 17, Asaph describes this sort of turning crisis point. Um, First of all, and this is curious, he says in verse 15, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. This is a very interesting verse, especially given our context today in 2022 in the US. Um, Asaph says, I felt this way, and I'm telling you all about it now, because I'm on the other side of it, but he says, while I was feeling this way, I didn't talk to people about it. Um, And don't misunderstand, Asaph is not saying, hey, if you're going through something like this, don't confide in a trusted friend. Asaph is saying, I didn't go public. I didn't go and just spew to everybody who would listen that I was beginning to wonder if God was worth it. I didn't get up in a synagogue meeting when I was about to lead worship and say, hey guys, real quick, before we get started, I'm just not sure I believe any of this anymore. He left himself an out. He knew he was in the middle of a battle, in the middle of a struggle, and instead of declaring everything and dragging down other Israelites who might not get to the other side where he got, he decided to keep his peace. And so here's the deal. If you right now, if you're like, this is resonating with me a little bit too much, like this is where I am right now, I'm thinking about quitting on God, one of the best things that you could do is to find whether it's a pastor or an elder or a trusted friend or a life group leader or a detour group leader and to be able to say, I gotta be honest, I'm thinking about quitting. That would be one of the best things you could do. One of the worst things that you could do is decide that you need to go public with your journey when you're still in the middle of it. Somehow we think authenticity today is I say everything that I think every time I'm thinking it. That's not authenticity, that is foolishness and selfishness. And thank God Asaph said, you know, I'm gonna just leave the window open that God's gonna bring me on the other side of this. Um, But he wasn't passive, even though he wasn't talking about it. He says in verse 16, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. So he's trying to track down solutions. Um, Maybe he's a math guy, he's trying to find the algorithm or the formula that's gonna help make sense of everything and how all this works together. But he's coming up empty. Maybe he's reading the philosophers, maybe he's having deep conversations and he still can't sort it out. He says, I I couldn't come to the other side of this. I couldn't understand this. It troubled me deeply. The next word is till. In other words, until. Something happened that turned all of this around. It troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Asaph was at his quitting point, but it turned out that a level of restoration was right around the corner. God was about to do something that was gonna change everything, and he says, I entered the sanctuary of God. Um, And this is the point, I I know some of us feel this way, this is the point where I wish we got more. I, I wish he spelled out the exact scenario. I wish we had a described scene about exactly what went on. He just says, I went to the sanctuary. And we're like, what happened at the sanctuary? Like, did you hear scripture read and and suddenly there was a scripture read that was really applicable to your situation and everything came together? And it's like, maybe, 
And did you go to the sanctuary and, and there was a worship service and there were songs and the songs reminded you about how much you love God and how much he loves you? And like, maybe. Did you go privately and just pray there and God spoke to you? Maybe. Did you go and, and watch an offering being offered and you remembered God's forgiveness for our sins? Maybe. We don't know what exactly happened at the sanctuary. Here's what we know. Going to the sanctuary was Asaph choosing to walk toward God. It was him choosing in his doubts and his frustrations and his wonderings to say, instead of walking away from God, I'm gonna lean in. I'm gonna walk toward God and I'm gonna believe that he has a solution to my problem. And here's what I wanna say. In many ways, the application for this sermon is all gonna come right here in the middle before we see what happened. This is the point. If you are at quitting time right now, first of all, thank God that you're here while you're contemplating quitting on something. You are choosing to draw near to God. You're choosing to believe in some part, even if it's just like 3% of yourself, you're believing that God has some solution to the problem that you're facing. When we feel like we're at quitting time, it's the time above all other times that we need to be in the Bible. Man, we need to be in the Bible all the time, but we need to be in the Bible because we need God to speak to us. We need his word to renew us and we need a wider perspective because sometimes we only see what's right in front of our faces and when we get into God's word, we get the bigger perspective. Um, I don't know, are, are any of you doing the Bible reading plan we're doing through the gospels right now? Oh man, it's nothing better than reading the life of Jesus. If right now you're at quitting time, grab one of those bookmarks, start reading about Jesus and your perspective will widen. When we're at quitting time is the time that we need to pray. Don't think for a second that God doesn't wanna hear from you if you're thinking about quitting in some way. God loves you and God wants you to lean in and draw near to him. And he wants to speak to you and lead you as you do that. And when we're thinking about quitting, we gotta be around God's people. We gotta be in our small groups. We gotta be in our detour groups. We gotta be here on Sunday. We've gotta lean in and trust that God is gonna somehow make known where he's gonna lead us. He says, I went to the sanctuary of God and he gives a hint of how God changed his perspective. He says, then I understood their final destiny. Just real quick, before we look at verses 18 through 20, just take their final destiny. Whose final destiny? The wicked. It says, what turned me around all this is that God showed me where the wicked ended up. So after the turning point, we get to get a glimpse of where Asaph ended. And in verses 18 through 20, he tells us how God revealed to him the end of the wicked. He says, surely you place them on slippery ground, which by the way, you remember how this started with Asaph? My feet almost slipped. He says, they're the ones on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. He says, I was right at the point of quitting and then God reminded me of where the wicked end up. And he says, you know, it might seem like they're getting away with it. It might seem like everything's going fine for them, but judgment is coming because God is just and one day they will all be judged. He says, I was about to quit and then I realized and was reminded by God that judgment was right around the corner. Now I wanna pause here because some of us are uncomfortable with what's going on in verses 18 through 20. We're kinda of like, is this okay? 
Like, is this okay that he's happy that people are gonna be judged? Is this malicious? Is it okay? Some of you might even be feeling like, I kind of like this, but should I like this? Um, there's nothing wrong with Asaph celebrating the judgment of God. In fact, this is a little bit like, some of you later on today, you're gonna watch football. Um, and, and as you're watching football, if you watch a football game with a big football fan, and the big football fan is watching the team that they're rooting for, I guarantee you at some point in the game, they're gonna yell out these three words. Um, don't worry, they're, they're church appropriate words, in case you're wondering. They're gonna yell out these three words, some of you will be able to finish it. The three words that they're gonna call out is, throw a flag. And when they yell out, throw a flag, who are they yelling at? They're yelling at the referees. Even if we're at home, we're still convinced they can hear us. Like, throw a flag. And here's why you yell that. You yell that because you become convinced that throughout the game, your team is getting the raw end of the deal. And there's a lot of times that penalties should have been called, but those refs won't throw the flag and call the penalty. And when the ref finally does throw the flag and call the penalty on the other team, you rejoice. You're like, thank God, finally they threw a flag. And you're not excited because you really hate that other guy that got the penalty called on him. You're excited because there's a part of you that says, oh good, we are playing football. Oh good, the rules do apply. Oh, okay, I finally understand the universe again because of that call that was being made. This is what Asaph is saying right here. He's saying, okay, the world finally makes sense again. It's less about him being malicious against wicked people and more about him saying, all right, this makes sense now. God does reward those who are faithful to him and he does punish the wicked. In fact, if you read through the book of Job, which is right before Psalms, Job is about a righteous man who suffers terribly. He's troubled the entire time. And part of the reason that he's troubled is because he's suffering and he's upset about that. But part of the reason why he's troubled is that he's saying the world doesn't make sense. The world doesn't make sense if I'm suffering like this and other people are getting away with it. And that's where Asaph is. And he says, the world finally makes sense. And you can even already hear him sort of scolding himself a little bit, saying, man, I was envying, I was jealous of people who were headed towards God's judgment. I was jealous of people who were headed towards destruction. Um, quick story. So some of you know that uh, my, my dad has been in a wheelchair for, for over 35 years now. Um, when I was nine years old, he was paralyzed from the neck down and, and was immediately in the hospital, was in the ICU. He couldn't talk, um, couldn't move really anything except he could wink and blink. So he was, he was in bad shape. Um, he had to be fed through a tube. And he tells a story now about what that was like. And he says he, he had a roommate in the same ICU room. And uh, nobody there is in good shape. But this guy was definitely in better shape than my dad was. And the main thing that my dad noticed was that he didn't have to be fed through a tube, he was able to actually be fed solid food. And my dad sat there in his paralysis and was just envying the entire time this other guy, this roommate who was able to have solid food while my dad was sitting there being fed through a straw. 
Um, well, a little bit of time passed and that roommate was no longer there and a new roommate was brought in. Um, my dad couldn't talk at the time, so he couldn't ask questions, but he overheard a couple of the nurses talking about the guy who previously had been his roommate in that room and quickly realized that the reason that guy was no longer his roommate was because that guy was dead. And my dad had this bizarre epiphany of, I was jealous for a dying man. I was jealous of somebody who was heading toward the morgue. How many of us find ourselves jealous of people who are heading toward judgment? This is why later on, I, I don't have it up on the screen, but in verses 21 and 22, Asaph reflects back on his time. And he says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. He says, how foolish, how dumb was I? I was jealous of people headed towards judgment. He says, now I understand it clearly. And here's what Asaph understands clearly. He understands that with God, no act of rebellion is left unpunished and no act of faith is left unrewarded. With God, we may have to wait and it might be frustrating and at times we might feel like quitting, but we know that in the end, God is just. God is righteous. No act of rebellion goes unpunished and no act of faith goes unrewarded. And Asaph knew that he got to live in the joy of knowing what God had ahead for him. That every sacrifice he'd made would end up being rewarded. And that every act of rebellion by God's enemies would end up being punished. And so Asaph gets to run towards the conclusion of this song with great joy and tenderness. These are some of the most familiar verses. I want us to look at them together. Verse 23, he says, yet I am always with you, you hold me by my right hand. Um, and I love this picture of a father leading a child along, guiding him through life. He says, you guide me with your counsel. God is with me. God is close to me. God is telling me what to do. He's guiding me towards wisdom. And then he says, and afterward, you will take me into glory. Um, one of the reasons why this verse, verse 24 there is so significant is because if you read the Old Testament, it's murky about the afterlife. Like we tend to think, hey, from the beginning, there was this very clear picture of heaven and hell. There's really not. Even in the New Testament, it's not as clear as we like to believe it is. But in the Old Testament, it's murky. In fact, there was a whole set of Jews that just didn't believe anything happened after death, didn't believe in any kind of afterlife. But he says here, after you're with me and you counsel and guide me here, you will take me into glory. Asaph believed that even after he was no longer living, there was a reward that God was offering, which means this, even if you go through the rest of your life not yet seeing the full reward of your faithfulness, you look forward to God receiving you into glory. Probably the most famous verses of the psalm are, are the next one. Verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Um, the verse 25 is kind of funny because like whom have I in heaven but you? Or if we're taking it literally, he's saying, well, God, you're the only one that I have in heaven. There's nobody else. You're the only one that I have in heaven. But who does he have in heaven? He's got God. That's the headline. He's saying, I've got God. I have the one in heaven. I have the judge. He is mine and I am his. He says, my flesh and my heart may fail, which is Asaph's way of saying, I may get so sick that my body no longer works. My heart may fail. I may get so heartbroken by emotional difficulties 
that I experience deep loss. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I love that word portion. Um, On Thursday, most of us are gonna eat a big meal. And there might even be, there might be a pie that gets sliced up and distributed, maybe an apple pie or a pumpkin pie if you're weird. Um, (laughs) Gonna give, yeah, yeah, get over it. (laughs) You can have the whole pumpkin pie, I don't want any of it. You're gonna be given a slice, and when you're given that slice, that is your portion. In other words, that's like, that's all you get right there. Look at what Asaph is saying. Asaph is saying is, God is all I get. And you know why that's okay? Because God is all he needs. God, you are my portion. He was right at quitting point, but reward was just around the corner. And I I just wanna pause and say this. We, we, We don't have testimony time right now, but if we did, here's some of the things that we would learn just from those of us in this room. Um, If we had testimony time right now, you would hear from person after person who would talk about regrets in their life and say, I so wish back then I had trusted God and did things his way because he's gracious and he's compassionate and he's forgiven me and he's brought healing, but man, I've dealt with the fallout. There's no act of rebellion that goes unpunished and they would warn us all, don't go the world's way. Trust God because you don't wanna deal with these regrets. And what they also would tell us is that this room is filled with people that reached a quitting point and decided to trust God just one day longer, one week longer. I'm gonna keep trusting him. I'm gonna keep walking with him. I'm gonna keep being faithful to him. And they would say, I'm so glad that I did. There would be people who were saying, you know, we were at the breaking point ourselves. We were about to end our marriage. We were just done with it. But we leaned in and we said, no, we know that God has faithfulness for us to each other. And we leaned in and we kept trying and we got people around us and we were faithful to God's word and we're experiencing the most joyful season of our marriage because we didn't quit. There would be people in this room saying, I was about to quit on prayer. I was done with prayer just because it was hard work and because I didn't see God answering my prayers, but I decided to persevere. I leaned in and I kept being faithful to God. And now I not only have seen prayers answered, but I am enjoying the joy and the pleasure of intimacy and closeness with God. Whereas Asaph talks about he's with me, he's guiding me, and he will reward me. And not only this, but but let me remind us of one other reality. The person who we're trusting to accomplish all this is one who hung on a cross. And if there was ever a moment in human history where it looked like wicked people had won and the righteous had lost, it was when Jesus was hanging on the cross. Jesus was the only person who ever lived and really could say, I've done nothing wrong. He was hanging on the cross, all seemed to be lost, and his body was tossed into a grave, but victory was right around the corner. Resurrection was coming, and with God, no matter how deep the valley, no matter how much you feel like quitting, reward and restoration and victory and resurrection are always just around the corner. So let me ask the question again. Where are you tempted to quit today? In what area are you just feeling like, I've done, I've tried it God's way, I've tried it so many times, I keep waiting for him to come through and it's just not happening. Where are you tempted to quit today? Asaph doesn't pull any punches. He tells us how dark the valley can get. 
but he also tells us that we have a God who leaves no act of rebellion unpunished and no act of faith unrewarded. The God who sees in secret will reward you. Um, In fact, the Psalm's not done. Asaph gives us a, a little benediction in verses 27 and 28. He says, those who are far from you will perish You destroy all who are unfaithful to you, a reminder of the end of the wicked. And then he says, but as for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. He says, I've come through to the other side of this and here's what I've decided is good. What I've decided is good is not utter rebellion and doing whatever I want. What I've decided is good is not calling my own shots and running my own life. What I've decided is good is being near to God. And because I'm near to God, he will lead me, he will guide me, and he will reward me. And brothers and sisters, the reason why we get to walk forward in confidence that we can be near God is because we really do believe that on that cross, Jesus paid it all. You have no sins. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have no sins hanging over your head because Jesus paid it all. And just as we're gonna celebrate at Christmas time that he is God with us, he will always be with us because Jesus has paid it all. Um, And so it seems really appropriate that at the next thing we get to do in our service, our first act of worship in response to this is that we get to take communion together. If you're gonna be helping out with communion, you can head to the back and Tom will get you set up with all of that. We get to take communion together and we get to use this as a time to remember the price that was paid so that God would always be near to us. And so here's what I wanna encourage you to do. When we prepare to take communion, it's always appropriate for us to be thinking through our our own sin and the things we need to be forgiven of and the way that God has been good and the, the price that Jesus paid. Here's what I also want you to be reflecting on as we get ready to take these elements. What I want you to be reflecting on is the fact that whatever deep value you feel like you're in right now, God's hope and his victory and his reward is just around the corner for those who faithfully wait for it. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray especially for anybody this morning who really is at quitting time, who really is, is Father, just trying to hold on but is struggling. You see those tears, you see that struggle and you treasure that and Father, I pray that you bring the hope that's needed. I pray even during this communion time that you remind us that you bring victory out of the darkness and you bring hope out of our darkest places. Thank you that Jesus has paid it all. Truly to all to him we owe. We pray that you receive our praise and our thanks and we pray that you supply us with the strength and the guidance and the hope to continue to be faithful to you and to trust that you will be faithful to us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.